What's up? Welcome to Build. This is Maggie. Today, I want to dig into a topic that I know we all need to get better at, myself included, and that's feedback. But instead of talking to just another person in product or another person in SaaS, instead what I did was I went outside the bubble and I spoke to Julie Poitras Santos. She is the director of exhibitions at the Institute of Contemporary Art at Mecca, the main college of art. She's also a professor of art. And I wanted to learn from her about how they think about critiques, which is how they think about feedback in the art world and what we can learn from them on how to do this better. So I hope you enjoy it. Julie, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. So really what I want to dig into today is feedback and in your world critiques. It's something that we do all the time in software. It's really important. And I I would imagine it's probably more, it's bigger than just how we do our job, but really anyone who wants to get better in any job that they do, they're going to need to get feedback of some kind. So I'm really excited to learn from you how you in the art world view critiques and how you use feedback to make your art better. So with that as a starting point, I'd love to understand kind of as an artist and professor, what is the role of critique within your world, within your sort of practice, and then we can kind of go from there. Yes, I think I fully agree with you. It's a valuable process to engage, I'd say, pretty much in any field. And I think what's really wonderful in in the art world, or let's say art school, is that this is a large part of how people learn and grow and learn more about their work and develop their work is through the kind of dialogue that unfolds in relationship to critique. I think really the role of critique in my world is that it helps us see ourselves and our work fresher and from a different perspective. So for a student who makes a work, there's often a pretty fast time frame or turnaround from making the work and then getting feedback. And it really accelerates your learning about what you are making in the studio, what you might do differently, how you might change or transform the work. It really just helps you see it from a a number of different perspectives and see what going forward might look like. And it it often changes your direction or changes your path or makes you reconsider some decisions you've made and consider making them differently, maybe thinking about them in terms of different materials or different ideas. And so it's really a a longstanding process that we engage with. And I think we've spoken about in an earlier conversation, I think it's a kind of a muscle you develop and that really our system of art education encourages the development of that muscle. (laughs) So what is the sort of taking a step back, like for a critique, what is the sort of basic structure of how that works? And what is the process? Like who's involved? Because I think we can probably learn a lot from just A, how you structure things as well as how you guys think about it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I don't know exactly how you think about it in your world, but I think who's present and how that unfolds. But for us anyway, we have an artist who has made their work or group of artists, perhaps as a collaboration. There's usually a facilitator, which is often faculty who are present, maybe some other faculty members, depending on the critique. We like to ask students to elect a note taker from their peers who can really serve to transcribe the conversation. I think oftentimes in in a critique process, you can get kind of caught up in the conversation or maybe you're nervous and you get a little lost and you can forget all the wonderful juicy tidbits that were shared and, and the kind of options that were suggested. And, and so a note taker really serves as a, a way to record that dialogue productively for the student moving forward. And then there's everyone else in the room, which are students, maybe an other like a visiting artist, other faculty who are really there to respond to the work I work primarily in the graduate program here, and 
We really, in the last couple of years, have instituted a process. It's actually heavily based on or indebted to, let's say, Liz Lerman, who's a choreographer and dancer. It's been tweaked to serve our needs, but it really foregrounds in a way that she also does the artist as a questioner and artist agency within that process. So initially, we often have one-hour critiques, and initially students start out and there's kind of a 10 or 15 minutes where people really were just respond freshly to the work. They might say, hey, that reminds me of my uncle's living room, you know, and, so, and there's ways in which people just respond kind of fun. It's fun and fresh and they're, what they're seeing. Let the artist know what their quick, immediate read is. After that, we like to move into a period of time, say 15, 20 minutes, where the artist actually gets to lead the critique and ask the questions that they've been thinking about in the studio so it's a super good time to, I mean, we, we let people know beforehand so they have time to kind of write up their questions, but it's a super great time to use your peers as a sounding board to answer some of those like hard nuts you're trying to crack in the studio. So if there's a, a work that has an audio piece and the student is really interested, the audio conveys a kind of sense of the timelessness or endlessness. They might ask a question about, is the audio contributing to that? Is it contrasting or contradicting the material in the room, whatever that might be? And so there's a way that the artist can kind of lead the conversation in the direction that they are most interested in and the sort of take the helm in a sense with regards to the ideas that they want to explore in the work. And then there's always really generous amount of time for people in the room, other people who are not the artist who's showing their work at that moment, to ask questions of the maker, of the work, to really dig into a deep question, a deep conversation about the use of light in the work, the ideas that are explored in the work, the sort of how the artist wants the content to communicate to the world. I, I think a lot of those as you move through the process, the process optimally becomes much deeper and the questions kind of more investigative and really probing and helping the artists learn more about how they might transform that work or, or move their ideas out into the world. And is it all about just asking questions or are there periods of time where people are making suggestions? Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes there are like the responses, for example, if the artist has a question and the, the room responds, they might offer, say, a recent book they've just read that might be important for the artist to, to read or a film they might like to see. Or oftentimes we offer other artists who are working in the same area, be it, say, medium-based sculpturally installation, or maybe they're working in audio, but they actually are creating paintings that have speakers. I don't know, you know, I'm making, I'm making things up, but like there's lots of suggestions that are offered in terms of other works to look at, other things to read, other things to watch. There's oftentimes a kind of offering ideas related to the content of the work, saying like, we think of ourselves as cultural producers. So what is the conversation that we want to be provoking culturally. And so a lot of times the questions can center around that too, you know, sort of how one might present this conversation to their audience in a sense, you know, so that's that's a large part of the, the, the process as well. We also invite both responders and artists to write about their work. So they can write a response or follow up kind of with themselves in terms of what they learned or garnered moving forward. Sometimes people don't get a chance to offer their ideas in the critique 
or maybe they come up with another question after, and so they're encouraged to offer that material to their their peer. So there's a way in which the conversation continues that's really exciting, I think. I love that. I think it's interesting. There are so many parallels with how you've described this process to how we work as well. Our design team, they do hold weekly critiques. I think they probably allocate a little less time to each thing that they're working on because I think it's probably a little less complex or I would imagine it might be less complex than a full artwork. So they do, they run their own critique process, but then also within the the teams that work together, which would be kind of, we, we work in, in cross-functional teams with the product manager who's kind of owning the customer problem we're solving, the designer, and then the, the developers who are going to build the thing. We kind of work together as a team and we're constantly giving each other feedback and we're constantly asking, the core question we would be asking each other is, is this going to produce the result for the customer we want? Is it going to provide the experience that, that we're trying to create for the customer? And we're constantly like inquiring about that with the thing that we're working on. So I think it is, there are a lot of similarities I'm hearing from how you guys think about it to how we do it as well. One of the things that we struggle with, or I know I have struggled with in the past, either giving feedback in a way that is easily received, but also as someone who's who's putting their work out there, staying open to the things that people are asking. So how do you help coach your students on how to be receptive to feedback, accept feedback, and then also kind of filter through the feedback and find sort of really what they should take away from it? Right, sure. So yeah, this is always challenging. And I think We do have a lot of conversations at the beginning of the semester and talk about what critique is for and why we do it and, um, you know, sort of its aims, but also to remind students that while the work may not even be about personal subject matter, but more so it's just personal because you made it and you care about it and you're offering this work to public, you know, we sort of remind students that, well, there's all of that going on. And even though the work, we can be really close to the work, the critique isn't meant in any way, shape or form to be a personal attack. It's really about helping the work grow and helping the work get better. Of course, it's still difficult. We encourage people to be kind and intelligent in their feedback. So it might mean that you take a little more time to describe your response instead of saying, like, I don't like this. You kind of dig deeper and say why. We encourage students to be really specific with their language with regards to feedback being very clear in that way. And we a lot of the conversation can also unfold around gaining clarity as a group. It's really, like I said before, it's really a muscle that we develop and get more attuned to the the process and the practice. And there's also a real development of the community in this process. So there's a sense of understanding that your peers are there to help your work develop and grow and that the challenges are from that place, one hopes. There is a really magical moment usually when, you know, somewhere through the semester, students kind of arrive and realize that this is, they're really excited to have the dialogue. They're really excited for the feedback. And, and you know, that kind of outweighs the sense of dread or the sense of fear <laughs> with regards to, to feedback. And, you know, I think that can happen at different times for different people. And it's not to say that, it, that you know, two years later we aren't, or even, you know, the next time we aren't incredibly um, nervous, but that just to sort of re- remind ourselves that these challenges uh, ultimately help the work get better and that that's why we're here. You know, that's why we're, we're making this, this work is we're trying to effectively communicate these ideas through these mediums and we want to do it the best we can. That's sort of why you go to school for this. So I think... Ultimately, hopefully, that magical moment occurs for individuals where they suddenly are really excited for that and excited then to get back in the studio and to find out, you know, how to make it better and how to take it forward based on that feedback. 
as you were talking, I was kind of wondering about this. In the corporate world or for our product design specifically where, where I am, we often think about the audience of the thing that we're working on and who it's for and whether the feedback is relevant in the context of that person or that group. Is there something about audience that, that you think about in terms of feedback, especially like, hey, I'm I'm responding to this work for myself, but I might not be the person you're making it for. Like how do you how do you guys talk about that? And is that a theme that comes up for you? Absolutely. Audience is a large topic of conversation. And partly, you know, one thing about becoming clearer as an artist is really determining kind of who your audience is, not to limit your audience necessarily, but to be clear about who you want to speak with, who you you want your ideas to reach and how. A number of years ago, I taught a class called Meeting the World Halfway. And it was really all about that. Like, what is that interface or that place where we brush up against audience and what does it look like? And it really was about investigating different models for thinking of audience or operating as an artist. So so one kind of model might be the storyteller. You're really interested in a narrative arc and conveying a kind of story to people and you feel like kind of the emotional resonance that one might interpret in a story is really going to convey your ideas. Another way of thinking about that interface might be, we talked about translation, like maybe your work is about translating ideas that are predominantly discussed in another field through art to another public. So maybe you're a translator. We talked about the act of seduction. Maybe your work seduces the viewer in closer and draws them in. And But then maybe it's, you know, like the Venus flytrap. You've got some other sneaky idea tucked away in there, or maybe not. So there are all these different ways we can think through our interface with our audience. I mean, certainly, of course, if you're making a work that is, if you're designing a bench or you're making a ceramic mug, you're really going to think about that functionality and that real intimacy of that audience interaction in that context. So we use the word audience a lot of the time. We really talk about that nature of interaction and that interface. I think we're communicating something with the work. So it's really about how effectively are you communicating to this audience. So I think the question that I have now is when you're going into a critique and you realize that the the piece of art that the artist is making has an audience that is not the same as the people who are in the room doing the critique, how do you help your students sort of think about that? And how do you help both the artist understand what's what may or may not be valid out of the feedback and also help coach the room to give better feedback when they might not be the person that that piece of art is meant for? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of cases, I think some of that work is done beforehand, right? So the artist is encouraged throughout the process to kind of think through who their audience is and who they're aiming the work at, who they want to reach, who they're trying to communicate with. So part of that maybe has been done a little bit beforehand. Sometimes, you know, it's helpful for the artist to present that information at the outset and say, in fact, this work is meant to be exhibited XYZ, you know, in this place for this audience. A lot of conversations we do have circulate around site and site of installation and site of exhibition. And I think that would also come into play as sort of a thinking of if you site your work in a gallery versus on the street, you're going to have a really different audience. So you'll draw from different groups of people. And I think that that makes the conversation really rich. And then I think in terms of receiving feedback around that, that can be part of the conversation is like, well, is this work then only for that audience? And if so, 
you know, the conversation might be why, or can this work operate on multiple levels for multiple audiences? So I think all of that becomes part of the conversation in terms of artists becoming clearer about who their work communicates to and how. And then is there a sense that if someone is providing input on a piece of art when they're not that intended audience that the artist doesn't, they can just sort of discard that? Or is there still a way to get value out of those comments, even if they're not from, quote unquote, the right person? Well, I think it's all fuel, you know, it's all part of the conversation. Yeah, of course, the artist can be like, in fact, this work isn't for you. It's for XYZ. It's for this other audience. And also another project could be for the artist to try to access that other audience. We've had students, for example, who are really interested in social practice oriented work. And so the work is, in fact, supposed to be in a public venue and not really in sort of a confined gallery space in an art school. So they have a really different vision for it. And so in a lot of those cases, we really encourage the artist to bring the work out into the world to get that feedback publicly and then to have a dialogue with their peers and faculty around what happened and how that was productive for their own learning and growth within the work. So, I mean, kind of, I guess there's a sort of work-specific response that we encourage students to do when they when they make work that for whom the audience isn't an art gallery, let's say. And is there anything that you coach the non sort of the people who are in the critique to give feedback? Is there a way that you help them give feedback that's more relevant, like tips? I guess maybe what I'm asking is like tips and tricks on giving feedback in a way that is going to be useful to the person who's receiving it. That's a great skill, I think, to learn. Certainly, we've all had experience, I think, on both sides where someone gives feedback and it hits us the wrong way and we can't receive it. And I think equally, we've given feedback that we feel hasn't been received. Part of the structure we implement is an aim to bring those questions out beforehand. So sort of one tip for giving feedback really is to ask a question first. What was your intention here with the lighting? And then to sort of follow up and say, because my experience, in fact, is different. And that can be one way to expose the area of, of contradiction or the area of conversation with regards to the work and help the, the feedback be more easily received. I think sometimes it's just hard to receive feedback, even when someone goes in with the, mo the kind of gentlest language and the sensitively says something. Sometimes people want it really direct. Just tell me what you're thinking. I want to know. That's a kind of... I don't know, I guess it's a relational skill we develop over time. And it also has to do with kind of reading the maker and, and what their interests are and what they're trying to do with the work. I think ultimately, though, that a lot of different feedback, a lot of different responses is helpful to the maker in the sense that they can then go back to the drawing board and look at not a room full of agreement, but a, a room full of discussion and different opinions and perspectives and views. And that really makes the work richer, ultimately. So part of the work also is helping each of us understand that those diverse opinions ultimately help us make better work and clarify our intentions as, as makers or, the, you know, for the students to clarify their intentions in terms of what they want to say, who they want to speak to, how they want their work to operate in the world. Yeah. And I, I also sometimes find that when, back to your first point, when people are just coming in with statements and not questions that, at least in my context, and curious to hear if it's the same for you, it often means that that person is not really listening or maybe, I guess in your case, looking. They're just sort of 
coming out with a statement and they're not being curious about why where their statement came from and why they're having that reaction. And instead, they're just sort of like, I have to say this thing. And you're not able to listen to other things while you have that thought kind of you're holding that thought inside of your head. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and all that, I mean, I don't know if you implement in your practice a note taker. <laughs> I think that's also for us has been a really helpful tool for both the giving and the receiving of feedback in the sense that it's a, a record of response that can be approached at a later date when one has a little more time. I mean, a lot of times, you know, from my experience, I feel like sometimes feedback will hit me and I will think, oh, that's not for me. But yet a year later, I'll be like, oh, now <laughs> I get that. Or that really makes sense for the project I'm working on. And you can see that the the feedback was actually given with a kind of eye to that future, perhaps. So I think having that document that is a note with regards to what was said can also help someone return to that material. I think, you know, receiving feedback in the moment can be can be stressful if you're you know, feeling maybe a little less flexible around a certain area of your work or your production. And so that that gives you time to kind of go back and reinvestigate those ideas and suggestions and questions in a different light. Yeah, one thing we actually do a lot here at Drift where I work is we actually have a, a video recording product that we built and we end up taking videos. And oftentimes if we're not doing a sort of full in-person critique what we will do, and this is true for design feedback, visual feedback specifically, but also for feedback on all kinds of other work, the person giving the feedback will record a video where they're sharing their screen and looking at whatever it is, and then they'll talk through their their reactions and their questions, and then they'll save that and send it to the person they're giving feedback to. So that person can kind of, in their own time, in their own space, receive the feedback, think through it, and respond. We find that that asynchronous communication is a really good way, A, to save time, but B, allows for this really rich dialogue because you can get a, away from the in the moment stress and you can you can kind of like be a little bit more private with how you're receiving the feedback. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, I've had students before do what I call kind of a written critique where everyone comes into the room and is assigned a work to write about and then they're given a series of questions to address in relationship to the work and then they write a response and then they give that response to the maker and maybe it operates similarly although it's not a video but it gives also, I think it gives the writer, the person who's giving the feedback, time to think through and articulate their thoughts clearly. Some of us like to articulate ourselves more in writing than spoken word. And then it gives the person who's made the, the work time to receive it on their own time. So, yeah, I agree. There's different ways to kind of mix it up, I think. Something else I've done, and I don't know if this is an exercise that you would have done in your field, but sometimes in early or beginning classes, not usually with graduate students, but in undergraduate classes, sometimes I'll have critiques where I'll take the students somewhere else and they'll critique someone's work that isn't in the room that's like a gallery, you know, that's not any of theirs. And then it gives them the opportunity to, to explore language around critique, questions that come up in relationship to the work, perceptions that they have in relationship to visual qualities or the decisions being made in the work. And it really builds a kind of dialogue around a work without the added quality of having the individual in the room and trying to capture it all and respond. And that seems like a really good kind of beginning way for students to explore what critique is in terms of a dialogue that pushes ideas forward. Yeah, I love that, especially the idea that in the same way that we're, we're over here building specific things for customers, people are going to art school to learn how to make art. 
you wouldn't necessarily say like one of the things I have to have is a good muscle for critique, but I love that idea of like, you actually, you do need to understand how to do this. And this is part of the process. And we're going to spend time practicing and learning how to do it because that's going to improve sort of your overall experience. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I think you go to art school to learn how to make art, but also a whole host of other things happen and are important to that process. And one of them is the sort of development of a language to talk about culture and understand the production of culture more broadly than in your own practice. And that commitment to understanding that conversation allows you to move forward into whatever art world you choose, whatever audience you are interested in approaching with a kind of broader understanding of a collective dialogue and collective dissent or opposing information or ideas to sort of start to investigate those dialogues that happen when within the world of culture is really exciting, I think. And this is sort of the beginning of developing that language. Yeah, I agree. And I think in the product design world specifically, it's so important to be able to have that also resiliency in terms of understanding, you know, I have given feedback and I have received it. So I have kind of empathy on both sides. And that's probably going to make me a better participant in that conversation than I would otherwise be. Mm -hmm. Right, definitely. All right. So we're coming up on time. So I wanted to get to my last question, Julie, which is I always ask people, what are they reading? What are they listening to that that's really helping them in their day to day and get better at what they're up to? So I'd love to hear from you, like book suggestions, podcasts, maybe works of art that you're that you're really inspired by recently that you'd want to share with our listeners. Sure. I love this question. I love that you ask yeah. your... <laughs> it's my only cheat code for getting a reading list together. Yeah, exactly. It's a great way. Let's see. Well, I just finished Richard Powers' Overstory. That's a phenomenal book um, in terms of thinking through our climate present and climate futures and the human role and all the transitions we're experiencing. He crafts some, if we think about language, he crafts some phenomenal sentences in that text that really kind of blew me away. I recently started reading Rachel Cusk also, which I think is sort of interesting when you think of the interior dialogue of the world, which I think sometimes is, is expressed visually through art practices. I also read a lot of poetry, and I just picked up Jory Graham's new book, which just came out in paperback not too long ago, called Fast. And she's an incredible poet and really a poet who has a distinct and very succinct knowledge of cultural production. So as a person who writes about and describes the visual world, she's kind of without peer. She's a phenomenal writer of of kind of like the experience of the body and the world in relationship to the visual world. She's written quite a bit about art in the past in her works or sort of in relationship to arts. And then in this, well, I'm just beginning, so we'll see. (laughs) But this one really looks at the human and the post-human and sort of exploring from the world of like, I think it says from the shroud to the bot. So it's pretty interesting poetic exploration. So those are some things I've been reading lately, um, which is really exciting. So, Yeah, I love that. And I love that your recommendations are unsurprisingly, or I was, I was hoping that this would be the case, very different from the sort of standard top five business books that I, that I typically get. So I'm super excited. I had a conversation with another person in products a little while ago about how if we all are reading the same books and listening to the same podcasts and talking to the same people that we end up kind of in this echo chamber where we our creativity starts to tail off. So I love that that you're bringing sort of new ideas for us to play with. Oh, great. That's super. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a big reader of literature and poetry, and I'm really interested in that intersection with visual culture. Well, Julie, thank you so much for coming to the show. I learned a ton. I really appreciate you sharing your perspective on critiques and kind of giving us a little taste of what the, what the art world's up to. Thanks so much, Maggie. It was great to talk with you. 